Chapter 9 of Marvels of Modern Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in April 2020. Marvels of Modern Science by Paul Severing. Chapter 9 Great Tunnels of the World. Primitive Tunneling. Huzak Tunnel. Croton Aqueduct, Great Alpine Tunnels, New York Subway, McAdoo Tunnels, How Tunnels Are Built. The art of tunnel construction ranks among the very oldest in the world, if not the oldest, for almost from the beginning of his advent on the earth, man has been tunneling and boring and making holes in the ground. Even in prehistoric time, the ages of which we have neither record nor tradition, primitive man scooped out for himself hollows in the sides of hills and mountains, as is evidenced by geological formations and by the fossils that have been unearthed. The forming of these hollows and holes was no indication of a superior intelligence, but merely manifested the instincts of nature in seeking protection from the fury of the elements and safety from hostile forces, such as the onslaughts of the wild and terrible beasts that then existed on the earth. The cave-dwellers were real tunnelers, inasmuch as in construction of their rude dwellings they divided them into several compartments and, in most cases, chose the base of hills for their operations, boring right through from side to side, as recent discoveries have verified. The ancient Egyptians built extensive tunnels for the tombs of their dead, as well as for the temples of the living. When a king of Thebes ascended the throne, he immediately gave orders for his tomb to be cut out of the solid rock. A separate passage or gallery led to the tomb along which he was to be borne in death to the final resting place. Some of the tunnels leading to the mausoleums of the ancient Egyptian kings were upwards of a thousand feet in length, hewn out of the hard, solid rock. A similar custom prevailed in Assyria, Mesopotamia, Persia, and India. The early Assyrians built a tunnel under the Euphrates River which was twelve feet wide by fifteen high. The course of the river was diverted until the tunnel was built, then the waters were turned into their former channel, therefore it was not really a subaqueous tunnel. The sinking of tunnels under water was to be one of the triumphs of modern science. Unquestionably the Romans were the greatest engineers of ancient times. Much of their masonry work has withstood the disintegrating hand of time and is as solid and strong today as when first erected. The fire-setting method of tunneling was originated by them, and they also developed the familiar principle of prosecuting the work at several points at the same time by means of vertical shafts. They heated the rock to be excavated by great fires built against the face of it. When a very high temperature was reached, they turned streams of cold water on the heated stone, with the result that great portions were disintegrated and fell off under the action of the water. The Romans, being good chemists, knew the effect of vinegar on lime. Therefore, when they encountered calcareous rock instead of water, they used vinegar, 
which very readily split up and disintegrated this kind of obstruction. The work of tunneling was very severe on the laborers, but the Romans did not care, for nearly all the workmen were slaves and regarded in no better light than so many cattle. One of the most notable tunnels constructed by the old Romans was that between Naples and Pozzuoli through the Porcilipo hills. It was excavated through volcanic tufa and was 3,000 feet long, 25 feet wide, and of the pointed arch style. The longest of the Roman tunnels, three and a half miles, was built to drain Lake Fucino. It was driven through calcareous rock and is said to have cost the labor of 30,000 men for 11 years. Only hand labor was employed by the ancient people in their tunnel work. In soft grounds the tools used were picks, shovels and scoops, but for rock work they had a greater variety. The ancient Egyptians, besides the hammer, chisel and wedges, had tube drills and saws provided with cutting edges of corundum or other hard, gritty material. For centuries there was no progress in the art of tunneling. On the contrary, there was a decline from the earlier construction until late in the 17th century when gunpowder came into use as an explosive in blasting rock. The first application of gunpowder was probably at Malpas, France, 1679-1681, in the construction of the tunnel on the line of the Languedoc Canal, 510 feet long, 22 feet wide and 29 feet high. It was not until the beginning of the 19th century that the art of tunnel construction, through sand, wet ground or under rivers, was undertaken so as to come rightly under the head of practical engineering. In 1803 a tunnel was built through very soft soil for the San Quentin Canal in France. Timbering or strutting was employed to support the walls and roof of the excavation as fast as the earth was removed and the masonry lining was built closely following it. From the experience gained in this tunnel were developed the various systems of soft ground subterranean tunneling in practice at the present day. The first tunnel of any extent built in the United States was that known as the Auburn Tunnel near Auburn, Pennsylvania, for the water transportation of coal. It was several hundred feet long, 22 feet wide and 15 feet high. The first railroad tunnel in America was also in Pennsylvania, on the Allegheny Portage Railroad, built in 1818 to 1821. It was 901 feet long, 25 feet wide and 21 feet high. What may be called the epoch-making tunnel the construction of which first introduced high explosives and power drills in this country was the Hoosac in Massachusetts, commenced in 1854 and, after many interruptions, brought to completion in 1876. It is a double-track tunnel nearly five miles in length. It was quickly followed by the commencement of the Erie Tunnel through Bergen Hill near Hoboken, New Jersey. This tunnel was commenced in 1855 and finished in 1861. It is 4,400 feet long, 28 feet wide, and 21 feet high. Other remarkable engineering feats of this kind in America are the Croton Aqueduct Tunnel, the Hudson River Tunnel, and the New York Subway. 
the great rock tunnels of europe are the four alpine cuts known as mont senis saint gotthard the alberg and the simplon the mont senis is probably the most famous because at the time of its construction it was regarded as the greatest engineering achievement of the modern world yet it is only a simple tunnel eight miles long while the simplon is a double tunnel each bore of which is twelve and a quarter miles the chief engineer of the mont senis tunnel was m sommelet the man who devised the first power drill ever used in such work in addition to the power drill the building of this tunnel induced the invention of apparatus to suck up foul air the air compressor the turbine and several other contrivances and appliances in use at the present time great strides in modern tunneling developed the shield and brought metal lining into service the shield was invented and first used by sir m i brunel a london engineer in excavating the tunnel under the river thames begun in eighteen twenty five and finished in eighteen forty one in eighteen sixty nine another english engineer peter barlow used an iron lining in connection with a shield in driving the second tunnel under the thames at london from a use of the shield and metal lining has grown the present system of tunnelling which is now universally known as the shield system great advancement has been made in the past few years in the nature and composition of explosives as well as in the form of motive power employed in blasting powerful chemical compositions such as nitroglycerin and its compounds such as dynamite etc have supplanted gunpowder and electricity is now almost invariably the firing agent it also serves many other purposes in the work illumination supplying power for hoisting and excavating machinery driving rock drills and operating ventilating fans etc in this field in fact as everywhere else in the mechanical arts the electric current is playing a leading part to the english engineer peter barlow above mentioned must be given the credit of bringing into use the first really serviceable circular shield for soft ground tunnelling in eighteen sixty three he took out a patent for such a shield with a cylindrical cast iron lining for the completed tunnel of course james henry greathead very materially improved the shield so much so indeed that the present system of tunnelling by means of circular shields is called the greathead not the barlow system greathead and barlow entered into a partnership in eighteen sixty nine they constructed the tunnel under the tower of london one thousand three hundred fifty feet in length and seven feet in diameter which penetrated compact clay and was completed within a period of eleven months this was a remarkable record in tunnel building for the time and won for these eminent engineers a world-wide fame from thenceforth their system came into vogue in all soft soil and subaqueous tunnelling except for the development in steel apparatus and the introduction of electricity as a motive agent there has not been such a great improvement on the great head shield as one would naturally expect in thirty years the method of excavating a tunnel depends altogether on the nature of the obstruction to be removed for the passage in the case of solid rock the work is slow but simple 
dry hard firm earth is much the same as rock the difficulties of tunneling lie in the soft ground subaqueous mud silt quicksand or any treacherous soil of a shifting unsteady composition when the rock is to be removed it is customary to begin the work in sections of which there may be seven or eight first one section is excavated then another and so on to completion the order of the sections depends upon the kind of rock and upon the time allotted for the job and several other circumstances known to the engineer if the first section attacked be at the top immediately beneath the arch of the proposed tunnel next to the overlying matter it is called a heading but if the first cutting takes place at the bottom of the rock to form the base of the tunnel it is called a drift driving a heading is the most difficult operation of rock tunneling sometimes a heading is driven a couple of thousand feet ahead of the other sections in soft rock it is often necessary to use timber props as the work proceeds and follow up the excavating by lining roof and sides with brick stone or concrete the rock is dislodged by blasting the holes being drilled with compressed air water force or electricity and as has been said powerful explosives are used nitroglycerin or some nitro compound being the most common many charges can be electrically fired at the same time if the tunnel is to be long shafts are sunk at intervals in order to attack the work at several places at once sometimes these shafts are lined and left open when the tunnel is completed for purposes of ventilation in soft ground and subaqueous soil the shield is the chief apparatus used in tunneling the most up-to-date appliance of this kind was that used in constructing the tunnels connecting new york city with new jersey under the hudson river it consisted of a cylindrical shell of steel of the diameter of the excavation to be made this was provided with a cutting edge of cast steel made up of assembled segments within the shell was arranged a vertical bulkhead provided with a number of doors to permit the passage of workmen tools and explosives the shell extended to the rear of the bulkhead forming what was known as the tail the lining was erected within this tail and consisted of steel plates lined with masonry the whole arrangement was in effect a gigantic circular biscuit cutter which was forced through the earth the tail thus continually enveloped the last constructed portion of this permanent lining the actual excavation took place in advance of the cutting edge the method of accomplishing this varied with conditions at times the material would be rock for a few feet from the bottom overlaid with soft earth in such case the latter would be first excavated and then the roof would be supported by temporary timbers after which the rock portion would be attacked when the workmen had excavated the material in front of the shield it was passed through the heavy steel plate diaphragm in centre of the shell out to the rear and the shield was then moved forward so as to bring its front again up to the face of the excavation as the shell was very unwieldy weighing about eighty tons and moreover as the friction or pressure of the surrounding material on its side had to be overcome 
it was a very difficult matter to move it forward and a great force had to be expended to do so this force was exerted by means of hydraulic jacks so devised and placed around the circumference of the diaphragm as to push against the completed steel plate lining of the tunnel there were sixteen of these jacks employed with cylinders eight inches in diameter and they exerted a pressure of from one thousand to four thousand pounds per square inch by such means the shield was pushed ahead as soon as room was made in front for another move the purpose of the shield is to prevent the inrush of water and soft material while excavating is going on the diaphragm of the shields acts as a bulkhead and the openings in it are so devised as to be quickly closed if necessary the extension of the shield in front of the diaphragm is designed to prevent the falling or flowing in of the exposed face of the new excavation the extension of the shell back from the diaphragm is for the purpose of affording opportunity to put in place the finished tunnel lining whatever it may be masonry cast iron cast iron and masonry or steel plates and masonry where the material is saturated with water as is the case in all subaqueous tunneling it is necessary to use compressed air in connection with the shield the intensity of air pressure is determined by the depth of the tunnel below the surface of the water above it the tunnelers work in what are called caissons to which they have access through an airlock in many cases quick transition from the compressed air in the caisson to the open air at the surface results fatally to the workers the caisson disease is popularly called the bends a kind of paralysis which is more or less baffling to medical science some men are able to bear a greater pressure than others it depends on the natural stamina of the worker and his state of health the further down the greater the pressure the normal atmospheric pressure at the surface is about fourteen pounds to the square inch men in normal health should be able to stand a pressure of seventy-six pounds to the square inch and this would call for a depth of one hundred seventy-eight feet under water surface which far exceeds any depth worked under compressed air for a long time one hundred feet were regarded as a maximum depth and at that depth men were not permitted to work more than an hour in one shift the ordinary subaqueous tunnel pressure is about forty-five pounds and this corresponds to a head of one hundred and four feet in working in the hudson tunnels the pressure was scarcely ever above thirty-three pounds yet many suffered from the bends what is called a freezing method is now proposed to overcome the water in soft earth tunneling its chief feature is the excavating first of a small central tunnel to be used as a refrigerating chamber or ice box in freezing the surrounding material solid so that it can be dug out or blasted out in chunks the same as rock it is very doubtful however if such a plan is feasible the greatest partly subaqueous tunnels in the world are now to be found in the vicinity of new york the first to be opened to the public is known as the subway and extends from the northern limits of the city in westchester county to brooklyn the oldest however of the new york tunnels counting from its origin 
is the McAdoo Tunnel from Christopher Street in Manhattan Borough under the Hudson to Hoboken. This was begun in 1880 and continued at intervals as funds could be obtained until 1890, when the work was abandoned after about 2,000 feet had been constructed. For a number of years the tunnel remained full of water until it was finally acquired by the Hudson companies who completed and opened it to the public in 1908. Another tunnel to the foot of Cortland Street was constructed by the same concern and opened in 1909. Both tunnels consist of parallel but separate tubes. The railway tunnels to carry the Pennsylvania RR under the Hudson into New York and thence under the East River to Long Island have been finished and are great triumphs of engineering skill besides making new york the most perfectly equipped city in the world as far as transit is concerned the greatest proposed subaqueous tunnel is that intended to connect england with france under the english channel a distance of twenty-one miles time and again the british parliament has rejected proposals through fear that such a tunnel would afford a ready means of invasion from a foreign enemy however it is almost sure to be built Another projected British tunnel is one which will link Ireland and Scotland under the Irish Sea. If this is carried out, then indeed the Emerald Isle will be one with Britain, in spite of her unwillingness for such a close association. England already possesses a famous subaqueous tunnel, in that known as the Severn Tunnel under the river of that name. It is four and a half miles long, although it was built largely through rock. Water gave much trouble in its construction, which occupied 13 years from 1873 to 1886. Pumps were employed to raise the water through a side heading connecting with a shaft 29 feet in diameter. The greatest amount of water raised concurrently was 27 million gallons in 24 hours, but the pumps had a capacity of 66 million gallons for the same time. The greatest tunnel in Europe is the Simplon, which connects Switzerland with Italy under the Simplon Pass in the Alps. It has two bores, twelve and one-fourth miles each, and at places it is one and one-half miles below the surface. The St. Gotthard, also connecting Switzerland and Italy under the lofty peak of the Col de St. Gotthard, is nine and one-fourth miles in length. The third great alpine tunnel, the Alberg, which is six and one-half miles long, forms a part of the Austrian railway between Innsbruck and Bludenz in the Tyrol, and connects westward with the Swiss railroads and southward with those of Italy. Two great tunnels at the present time are being constructed in the United States. One of these, which is piercing the backbone of the Rockies, is on the Atlantic and Pacific Railway. It begins near Georgetown, will pass under Gray's Peak and come out near Decatur, Colorado, in all a length of 12 miles. The other American undertaking is a tunnel under the famous Pikes Peak in Colorado, which, when completed, will be 20 miles long. It can clearly be seen that in the way of tunnel engineering, Uncle Sam is not a whit behind his European competitors. End of chapter 9